This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos. This is the Venganza Media Podcast about all things in print. My name is Stuart in L.A., and I'm here to talk about the short story, Second Variety. It was written by Philip K. Dick in 1953 and was eventually made into a movie called Screamers in 1995. If you head over to nowplayingpodcast.com, you'll find myself, Jacob, Brock, reviewing all of the movies that were made from Philip K. Dick works. And this week, we're talking about Screamers here I'm going to look at Second Variety and see what the original story had to offer. It's very much a Cold War story. We see Earth decimated in another war with the Russians. I think this is a ongoing theme of both Philip K. Dick during this time period, but the whole 1950s really was caught up in the clash and, and the nuclear anxiety. Well, here, most of Earth is now a barren wasteland, and we get the impression that a lot of people have moved off colony to the moon. The Americans are hiding in a bunker, and at the start of the story, a Russian soldier is approaching and is taken out by their weapon. It's not called a screamer. It's actually referred to as a claw, but it's the same concept. There's a mechanical sphere that burrows through the ground and takes you out unless you're wearing a protective armband known as a tab. It will kill anything alive. Rats, humans, it's not discriminating. It is a simple device programmed to kill anything that is alive. So the Americans wearing their tabs, tricking the claws into thinking that they aren't alive, go to inspect the Russian soldier that was sneaking up on them and find out he wasn't sneaking. <laughs> he was actually bringing a message of truce. Oops. I don't know why this guy was not waving a white flag. I mean, obviously, when you surrender, you want to make that known. And if you know that there are non-discriminating killing machines, do you really travel that message on foot? Can't you send an email? Can't, can't, aren't there such thing as diplomats? There's a lot that's shaky about Second Variety. I'm going to just go ahead and put that on the table. This is not a great story. It is one of the early ones, and I suspect that it's more appreciated for its themes, for its influence, than it is for the way that it's written. Our major character is Hendrix. He has elected to leave the American base and go to the Russians, explain what's going on, about their friend that they was just chopped up and see what he can do as far as a truce. And as he travels across the ashy surface of the post-nuclear world, he encounters a 13-year-old boy holding a teddy bear named David. And David is so aloof and weird, you have no choice but to suspect that there is something wrong with him. He's a 13-year-old boy living on his own, can't explain how he's doing it. He's neither Russian nor American. Well, Hendrix agrees to allow him to tag along, but as he nears the Russian base, the boy is taken out. He is shot. There are only a few Russian soldiers still alive, and they make sure to put David out real quick. And they quickly fill in Hendrix on what David really is, and that is a variation on the claw, on the very 
war machine that the Americans designed. They are now replicating themselves underground and coming up with whole new looks. It's kind of like fashion. <laughs> this is the fall line. David with teddy bear. But more specifically, there are three known variations of the original spherical ball with claws. David is the third, and when you pick through the remains of him, you will actually see a Roman numeral three written on him. It's very handy. They have also been able to identify the first variety. It's a wounded soldier. It, it takes people in because you see this soldier lying on the ground saying, help me, help me, and get up close, and he'll take you out. That's the first variety. Now, I don't know how you go from being a very crude metal claw in the ground to looking humanoid and being able to talk and do all of that. It's another conceit that I just have to throw. But eventually this story becomes a paranoia story. And that's another common theme in Philip K. Dick works. We see a real distrust between Hendrix and the other three remaining Russian soldiers, Klaus, Rudy, and Tazo. He suspects one of them, one of those three, is going to be the second variety, is going to have a Roman numeral tool on their body and is going to kill them. But who will it be? My money has always been on Tazo. Why? Well, she's a woman and she's seductive and she's getting up real close to Hendrix and much in the same way that David was. And you just suspect because she's different from the other two, she's probably the second variety. Well, they all decide to head back to the American base to seek shelter and find it overrun with little Davids and wounded soldiers. It's too late. More confusion here. I don't know how they got in. If all the Americans have the wristband that prevents screamers from attacking them, I guess these varieties don't care about the, the tabs. Whatever. Meanwhile, Klaus has killed Rudy because he's convinced that he's the second variety, and no, he wasn't. So now there is only two. I think this story might have worked better if there was more to select. Like, you start with a larger number, and you whittle it down. When there's only three to begin with, and you're looking for one, well, I guess that's why it's a short story and not a novella or a novel. At any rate, I'm still banking that it's Tazo. They escape the whole overrun American colony using a very strange bomb that only Tazo has. Again, why does she have the bomb? She kills Klaus, and it turns out that, oh, he is a claw too. He must be the second variety. They're all known now. Let's get out of here. And the only recourse they have at this point is a one-man rocket. Hendrix knows the secret location of a one-man rocket that can get them to the moon. He has been wounded. He does not think he will survive the trip. So Tazo is designated to be the person to fly away and get help and come back for him. All, again, all of this is screaming in my head that Tazo has got to be one of these killer robots, that this is just all too convenient. Um, and I'm right. Uh, it, it comes out in the end because after he gives her the keys and she flies away, he is beset by all the variations of the claw, the wounded soldier, David, 
and Tazo. Bum, bum, bum. Because Klaus was Variety 4. What do we know about Variety 4? Nothing. But it, it doesn't matter. It never occurred to them that there could be four, five, 20 other varieties. All of that seems very silly, particularly since we're told early in the story that there are lots of different varieties that they designed on the moon that hop and jump and break dance and do all of this. So uh, as far as twist endings go, this one's pretty lame. He notes that Tazo has this unique bomb, the one that she used to get away from the overrun base and will use it on others. And the one thing that I really did respond to to this story, where I think it really works as a commentary about conformity and our unease with difference, is that he realizes that now that the claws are creating variations of itself, they will eventually turn on themselves because what it can't stand, what it is trying to kill, is difference. It can't stand the fact that there is something not like it, and that is what it has been trying to kill. And so that even though they are all killing machines, united and killing all living life, they will turn on themselves eventually because of the varieties. And that's kind of a nice twist. That one I can go with. I think it's what redeems the story from being just kind of cheesy pulp and being a bit more meaningful. You can see a little bit of Terminator in this. I mean, I think it might have been influential. It's one of the stories that always gets published in Philip K. Dick compendiums. If you have any collection of his works, chances are second varieties in it. I think it was a big story for him. I like the ideas here a lot more than the execution. And it's really irksome to me, particularly, that we never see a true evolution of the claw, that it really it goes from being this little controllable thing that lives in the ground to humanoid, completely functioning, can fool you people. And I'm not even sure what the different varieties really do for you. I mean, what was Klaus? Why would he be an advancement over a boy with a teddy bear, a chick with a bomb, or a wounded soldier? The whole idea of variance you would think would be that each new model was an improvement, would have a better advantage. If you think of Terminator, the liquid metal one was clearly superior to Arnold. There's no sense of superiority here. They're just different looks. It's a new collection. So that's my thoughts on Second Variety. We're going to continue on with our series with Imposter. That's the name of the movie we'll be reviewing at nowplayingpodcast.com next week. It's also the name of a 15-page short story I'll be taking a look at back here at Books and Nachos. I hope you join me then. Keep reading. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is copyright 2010, Venganza Media Incorporated.